This episode is brought to you by Tempest Fugitives. Now you remember last episode where I was like, hey, maybe Tempest Fugitives doesn't have the best website and, and shop in Europe. Well, they've just opened one in Europe for you Europeans. If you want to get hold of your stuff, maybe give them a looky-loo. They have a wide variety of weapons and protective equipment on sale, as well as educational stuff like books. Visit www.tempestswords.co.uk or www.tempestswords.eu. What's up everybody and welcome to this episode of Blades for Days where we're going to be talking about swords and sword fighting and taking a moment in the morning to watch The Simpsons for your mental health. I'm your host Jordan and joining me today is Richard Hughes. Hey bud, how you doing? Yeah, not so bad mate, how are you doing? Uh, alright, I've uh, I managed to wreck my shoulder again. Oh um, god, how'd you do it this time? Uh, I fucked it up last week doing uh, some brazilian jiu-jitsu i was rolling with a guy and uh he used this like shoulder to to turn my jaw and it was fine it was the technique it was what you were yeah like, were supposed to be doing but um uh like i think what happened is between the warm-up and you know the instructor giving the the sort of like technique giving the, the like the instruction whatever i cooled down too much so I'm sort of like stood by the window, and I know I sound like a really old man, but I think there was a draft or something, and uh, yeah, and like he rolled onto my neck, and I was like, ah, oh, yeah, I'm feeling that. Um, and I had hell. to go and run a class directly after that, um, so I had to like sort of run out of the gym, uh, head down the street and across the road, and I, like I went into uh, uh, to where I run the the academy, uh, and I was just there, sort of like doing the warm up, going, oh fucking hell, and. <laughs> Yeah, and um, that was fine. And by Friday, I'd recovered. Um, and uh, yeah, like Sunday, I was doing some more uh, BJJ. And then, yeah. like yesterday, everything was fine. Um, but I, I, I think I, maybe I overdid it with the kettlebells or something. So right, yeah, been yeah, there, man. Uh, just uh, just fucked it up that way. Um, what about yourself? How are you doing? Well, I've just had some fucking awful news. I've got COVID. So if I oh, cough, shit. if I cough randomly during this, we'll just sort of cut that bit out. But yeah, I've literally just got the message. I've had to cancel everything for like the next two weeks because the other instructor I had trained up works at Centre Parks, and of course they're entering their festive season, so he's yeah. been slammed with all the overtime. So both instructors, either through illness or work, are both out of the picture. I'm just like, fuck. Okay. And I, and I managed to get myself into a point where, hey, Wessex League's a thing. Let's train hard as fuck for that one. Because, I mean, I've lost 10 kilos since fight camp. So I am on the bloody training, trying yeah. to work like a maniac, going, no, no, no. If I'm, if I'm in here, I'm going to come and do well. And by the way, uh, fate, shut up, you. You know, just completely wipe yeah. me. Right, okay, so I've got to spend 10 days in... I mean, I could probably tidy this place up in all fairness. It might take me the 10 fucking days, but... <laughs> yeah, yeah, so I've got that to contend with. And I mean, I, I felt all right yesterday. I just got uh, a bit of a cough, you know, standard lateral flow test, get it tested. Oh, shit, that's the double-lined one. Yeah. Let's go do the PCR thing. And then PCRs, yeah, you've got COVID, mate. So I'm expecting to get a little bit... I feel rough today, I'll be honest. Yeah. 
you know, yeah. not not completely terrible yet. I'm expecting it to get worse. Yeah, yeah. I well, that's the thing. I've had um, I've had a few students who've had it, and they've you know they've ended up quite rough for a bit, and then bounced back almost uh, immediately. And then I've had others yeah. uh, like so Lloyd, who's one of the fittest guys I know. I mean, he's also um, he's also down at the moment because of injury because uh, yeah. he was uh, grappling and I think uh, tore a muscle in his leg. Ooh, um, that's gonna do it. Yeah, yeah, it wasn't in my class, so I'm fine. You know, my I don't have to do anything with insurance. So, <laughs> but um, yeah, he uh, he did that, and like I, I know that he's taken some time to recover from it, um, which is, you know, it, it's really interesting because, like I said, he's he's one of the like the fittest, hardest dudes I know. And yeah, it's like sort of getting a toll, and uh, you know, yeah, it's it's a it's a shit thing. Like I I um, I couldn't go to Wessex League because, like an idiot. Uh, I noticed the post for the tickets like 19 hours after it, it got posted and I was like, oh, okay, cool. And then yeah. I looked at it and it was all sold out. I'm like, fuck, I was going to do, because um, I've been training Southport. Uh, Southport. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've been yeah. following um, it, yeah. Yeah, so I'm like, fuck, I'm going to have to put a pin in it now. And <laughs> I don't Because I wanted to conclude it in a tournament and just sort of like, uh, and just sort of put it to the test. Um, but yeah, so I don't know what, like, I'm, I'm probably going to sort of like, I don't know, do, do something, uh, do something maybe next year. I, I've got to put a video up and just be like, yeah, so I, you know, I didn't, I'm, <laughs> like, I'm an idiot. Um, I didn't expect them to sell out quite as quickly. To be well, honest, I mean, they've only got 32 slots for the long sword open. Right. All they've got. Now, I mean, I get the one day event and they're making it limited spaces. Mm. But it's 32 spaces. Now, I can probably rustle up 32 fighters on my own who'd be interested in having a shot at a tournament, never mind some as well-known as Wessex League. Yeah. yeah so, yeah. you know, it would have been a case of people who were hovering on the button. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I managed to get in just at the tail end, I think. I was come back at like 2 o'clock in the morning from a training. And I just went, right, that's all done. I've done my personal training. I've been to the gym when there's fucker all else there. Right, okay, I'll do this Wessex League thing. Bag. And then... That I wake up to the post of we're full. I'm like, going, dodge the fucking wallet there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like I was, uh, yeah, I was at work and I was like looking at it, and it was it was another group that posted it um, because most of the like most of the stuff, most of the news that I get from Hema mm. is like through uh, like Hema in pajamas or whatever. And a lot of the time it's like, oh, okay, it's another it's another meme or it's another whatever. So I just kind of ignore it. Um, and then, uh, yeah, this thing, you know, this Wessex League thing came out. I was like, oh shit, yeah, I better, I better get my tickets now because I know what I'm like. I'll, <laughs> I'll, like, I'll faff. Um, I usually, like Melissa takes care of that shit for me because she's the organized one. Um, and then, <laughs> yeah, I looked at it and I'm like, oh, bollocks. Um, so I mean I don't like I don't mind there's still stuff that um that like I can do. Uh well there's the um thing. sparring day with the AHF on let's say Yeah, yeah. Well I'm gonna do that because uh, I'm really good friends with the AHF. Yeah. So um that's it. I mean like I was that's why I'm so like annoyed about my shoulder because I was sparring, you know, I was training with those guys on uh Monday and um you know it was absolutely fine. 
And then, yeah, yesterday I was like, I, I was fine during the training. And then I lay down and I was chatting to, I was uh, chatting to somebody on like Zoom or Skype or whatever. And I, I sort of like sat up and I was like, ah, fuck. And it took me about 15 minutes to get out of bed today. Um, Lovely. And I was like, yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm like lying there. I'm like, Melissa, help me. She's already at work. I'm shouting at nobody. <laughs> you know, the house is empty. I'm like, help me. Help me get out of the bed. So, uh, well yeah, was, fucking uh, played. Well fucking played. Yeah, yeah. I went to work. Um, I had a work meeting, and um, uh, you know, I was like trying to, like trying to talk to different people, and I'm like, like you know, the '80s Batman with uh, Michael Keaton. I'm sort of like turning my entire body to address people. You know, I'm like knocking the table over. Coffee's fucking going everywhere. You know what I mean? So yeah, it was just a, it's just a bit of a shit show today. <laughs> That uh, imagery is just <laughs> fucking glorious. I'm not going to lie. It's like Rod Swans would have yeah. said. No. Yeah. How did you uh, like? How did uh, you get into all of this? How did you set up um, Order of the Blades? And and what's like? What's your what's your story? So I mean, I've been part of martial arts since I can remember anything else. Sort of been involved in like the kids karate clubs you get sent to us pretty much just daycare. Go and don't wreck my house. Wreck someone else's place for a bit. Um, yeah. But then I've sort of always been involved in stuff like that. And then when I hit uni, I really got into training properly and actually thinking, you know, this martial arts thing, is it something I really enjoy? Now, being my frame, you know, the six foot ten, larger built than most, trying to find what we call an even fight was interesting in the unarmed context. I mean, I remember yeah. training and MMA groups and they're going, right, well, you're never going to find a fight because, you know, that weight category thing is really going to screw with you, but you're a great sparring partner. I'm like, thanks, but yeah. I want to fight. So I ended up dropping into weapons as a, let's see how this plays out. Now, for me as a martial artist, I really liked it. I've, I never, I didn't think I would, in all honesty. The thing that gets me with it is, when, like, as a big guy, I can take a hit. So if someone wants to roundhouse make me, you know what, great, we're, we're in my territory. But with a weapon, if I get hit by that thing, done, game's over. Now that, from an intellectual standpoint for me, is what really drew me to going, huh, this weapons thing, give it some more look. Give, give it another look in. Because when you have so little margin for error and every mistake you do can be capitalized on, in such an efficient way. And it's not like a case of they've capitalized it. Oh, they've got a cheeky position. You know, they've got side control on you right now. You've got to do something else. Could be over the second they've got it. So weapons for me became something I get, well, really got my passion with. What then turned into me trading around different reenacting groups, because I know a couple of friends who were in the circles of reenacting. So I was going, great, you know, let's, let's, get, let's have a fight. I just want to fight people. Ended up trading around different reenacting groups, getting my neck stuck in there. And I went, you know what? Need some at local because I'm spending a fair bit of time and effort trailing groups rather than having something on tap local. So I ended up just training people with what I knew and what I could do, learning as I went, you know, as most people do when they set up a study group. And that was, you know, it took four years of me essentially pillicking about like that to turn around and go, you're not actually bad at teaching and you know what you're doing. Let's kick this up a notch. And that's when the order blade really for me kicked off and in about a year and a bit went from 
two relatively small local groups to having five groups and looking at going even further. So it's one of those things which, for me, the, the journey started very much in the case of I needed someone to fight, so I helped them. I helped train them up, and then now I've got people who are willing to kick my ass on a frequent basis, and I couldn't be happier with it. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think, like, again, it, it sort of seems like there's a lot of uh, origin stories like that in uh, historical European martial arts and those sort of yeah. because, um, you know, I was chatting to the last person that I had on um, was uh, somebody who trained judo, and mm -hmm. they, you know, they were sort of fighting on an international level and coming to work, you know, uh, but it's something that they they've been doing since they were four. So Graham, my last yeah. guest, he was, uh, you know, he's been training since he was four. And um, I'm kind of like looking forward to the the future um, where you get that with Hema. And it's like, oh, uh, you know, I've been doing it since I was four years old because it was part of like, you know, it was part of like uh, the school curriculum and all that kind of thing. Because yeah. Um, you know, like you've got things like uh, kendo and um, well, even fencing. Sort of, what's that? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, but it, you know, in Japanese schools where it's you know where it's part of the the school curriculum. And I mean, yeah. we did fencing in my school, but it wasn't. It was kind of like an external club rather mm. than like no, you got to do this. Um, and uh, I, like I, I think, especially when you have. A lot of you, you know, there's the American thing, isn't it? Where you t like everybody sends their kids, as you said, to Taekwondo or whatever. And like I remember chatting with my Krav Maga coach, and he does like kids classes as well. And um, he'd say, yeah, the parents turn up, and they're like, yeah, you know, I give him a big bag of Malwams, and I'm gonna be three hours late. Enjoy, and yeah. like, and they'd fuck off and like leave their like leave their kids there. Um, and like, there's there's a lot of groups where. Um, I can't remember who it was. I was like, I was listening to a seminar recently, uh, and it was to do with like martial arts studies. And uh, this guy says, you know, in America, everybody sends their kids to taekwondo classes because it teaches them it teaches them social skills and mm. you know and like different abilities and like you know and discipline. But then it's really important that they quit because you can't have an adult doing taekwondo or they like or they risk turning into a meme they've got to get into like craft beers or like you know or like golf or something respectable because you know you can't you can't be doing taekwondo as a as, a, as an adult um, well, i don't know i mean I'd do well enough to get in the olympics you can definitely do it as an adult but you know I mean, oh, yeah, 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 totally. but anything other like anything between like oh yeah i'm taking up you know, if you had like a 30-year-old uh, saying, I'm taking up Taekwondo for the first time, or like, you, you know, somebody in the Olympics, there's like the, that big divide. Yeah. And I mean, you know, this is something that we, um, or, you know, like I've certainly experienced, and most of the people that um, I've spoken to experience when you talk about HEMA, and it's like, yeah, I'm into HEMA, and people who don't know what it is, they're like, oh, so, you know, you're into, like, uh, they either think it's... Um, uh, reenactment a lot or fencing yep. or whatever and you're like well it's kind of like you know it's not really any of those but it is and it's like it's, it's this different thing um, it's, I always find it funny when I'm trying to describe what my job is because I very much made this my profession it's just a case of what, what do you do I, I teach violence 
you know, just at the, the core of it, I teach fighters, it happens to have a sword and sometimes a board and sometimes some weird funky weapon someone's brought in. You know, the, the, the whole thing, and I think it's, you're right to point out the divide between people who want to be on the very top end, like people who have been doing fencing since they were four years old and been almost pushed towards it almost as sort of some, you know, parents had a fixation with it or they became some sort of child prodigy thing. And then people who pick up Taekwondo in the thirties go, well, good luck. Your flexibility is either going to be great or shit. And it's not going to be nothing in between. I think particularly since you mentioned LARP and reenacting, there is a nice mid ground where people just come in and get the kicks out of doing the thing they enjoy doing. And I think that's some of which no matter how far any sword related nerdery goes, it, you have to have that mid ground. It's all well and good, I think, looking at the entry points and then thinking about where does this go in terms of competition. Reality is a lot of people are going to come in once or twice a week, chill out, have to have a good time with friends, hit each other with swords, and hopefully learn something and get a little bit better along the way. That is going to be most people's experience of it. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think for people who want to go way higher and do want to look at tournaments and competitions, having people on hand like that who just enjoy being in this space is a really good thing for them. It's, you know, in terms of just a training partner, you've got someone there who knows somewhat what they're doing and you can test yourself and go, right, if I use a limited skill set, can I beat this person knowing what they're trying to do? But at the same time, just on a social level where you're not, you're not locked into this, um, hyper-focused group and band. You have a social group that, you know, is enjoying what you're doing. You're just doing it at a different level. I think... Yeah. Like, I think that um, there tends to be a sort of, um, like, a divide whenever I've gone to, uh, you know, I think it's Waterloo Sparring? Group, yeah, the one in London. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. there's like a lot in London. Oh, yeah, there's fair bit. Um, maybe New Cross, I can't remember. But whenever I've gone there, and it, like, you know, the, the quality there is really high. Um, you know, the quality of fencing is like fucking top notch. Like, you've got, um, like, Alexander Makarov was there. Like, mm. the first time we fought, he gave me an absolute starching. Um, and it was, uh, you know, it was it, it was uh, ace. And he's, you know, he's given me quite a few bloody starchings. Yeah. Um, and, you know, he's, he's a very good, like, um, like Lichtenhauer style fencer. Like he, he really does uh, kind of delve into um, the tactics of that kind of way of thinking because it's mm. there, it's laid out for you, you know. Um, yeah. And, uh, and a lot of the time people misunderstand it, but he's, he's thought about it, you know, obviously then taking that shit to, um, to some of the, like the higher end tournaments, like, uh, long point and swordfish. Well, swordfish, I don't know about mm. long point, but, um, yeah, you know, but the, you know, the number of people in that, in, in those classes is generally not that high. And I'm not throwing mm. any shade on that by any stretch no. of the imagination. It's like, when I used to go to Krav Maga, um, the 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 like the amount of shit that I got kicked out of me could fill a silo. You know what I mean? Like mm. I I walk away limping, battered in a lot of like you know in a lot of instances, bloodied, and it's you know it was funny because I was talking to my uh, my coach at the time, and I was like, you know, we learn all this shit for self defense, right? Um, you know, so it's it, like you go out into the street if somebody's the, the main part 
of it is de-escalation and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Like, you know, you're keeping an eye on people. Like um, a martial artist, by the standards of uh, these kind of, um, you know, uh, these kind of classes, should never be in a in a in a fight because they like they've already identified what the threat is and they're like, yeah. well, I'll be over there where the threat isn't. And, I you know, even if be not yeah. there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, precisely. You know, what's the what's the best defense, Danielson? Like, you know, uh, not being there kind of thing. Um, but like, you know, I was I was limping home once after like after just getting the shit kicked out of me. And um and uh, I'd gone to sparring, I'd gone to training despite the fact that I'd broken my right hand. Uh, and so, like, I'd broken my right hand. My left leg was dead because I'd been taking a bunch of kicks. So I'm sort of, like, dragging. Like, I look like fucking eagle, you know what I mean? I'm a master. So that southpaw training you're doing came right into play at that point. Right, this is why I need to oh, work. Yeah, 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 right hand's broken. I got really, Don't really good. At, yeah, I got really, really good at covering my head and begging <laughs> for mercy with my left hand. Um, but, uh, yeah, so I'm walking along, and... Like these guys are sort of like looking at me, kind of thing. And I thought, fuck, if they come over here and try something, I'm not going to be able to do anything. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so, like, the irony of, of uh, doing all this training and then not being able to do anything afterwards. Um, but yeah, um, I think that, you know, you get these high level classes, but that's not going to be for everybody. Like, I've told no. some of my students like the classes that i've done you know in krav maga and uh and they're like yeah fuck that noise um and you know i absolutely get that um you it's know, not for so, everyone and i think yeah yeah you, so you mentioned places those... like waterloo sparring for example it's a really great thing for those guys who have got an incredibly focused tight-knit group of people who are at the top of the game what they're all there for the same reason to push that skill envelope as far as they can yeah. But there's some people who aren't going to be interested in that at all. They're going to want to come in and just go, I want to learn a couple of things and have a knock around with a couple of mates. That's not your environment. But as long as, as, long as you're honest about that intention before you walk through the door and there's no miscommunication within the people training, anybody leading that group, whatever, as long as everything is known, I don't think it's a problem at all. I think it's important that people are aware of the fact that it's still a, a classroom though, because I've had like, I've had one incident and I won't like, I won't go into like huge detail about it. It was, it was largely after lockdown. No, no, I'm just going to switch the light on. And yeah, sure. Dark. But um, yeah, it was after lockdown and I was a little bit worried that this would happen. Um, and it was basically uh, throughout lockdown, I was doing loads of stuff for, you know, for my students. We were having movie nights and D&D &D nights and, like, um, I was running circuits and, uh, like, online mm. classes and, and stuff like that for them. Um, and obviously, you know, in that environment, I'm just kind of, like, I'm just chatting with people. I'm not, you know, I'm not, um, I'm not trying to teach them anything. But then the the problem with that sort of like social dynamic is then when I was, at the, and you know, my students take the piss out of me all the time. Like, you know, the, it's yeah. Fine. yeah it, it comes with the territory, but then um, whenever I'm sort of teaching a technique, it's super important that everybody shuts up because if it's like, if we're doing Fiore and like, you know, Fiore has a few uh, locks and uh, throws um, and like, in one of those instances, you might be depositing somebody on their head 
or in one of those instances, you might be causing hyperextension to the arm. And I have to stress, it's really important, don't do this. Um, if we're doing like uh, fighting against multiple opponents, it's really important that nobody goes for the back of the head. It doesn't matter if there's head protection on the back, like you don't go for it, just don't go for it, mm. right? Um, and all of this sort of stuff, because like uh, I've seen uh, a bunch of uh, videos of uh boxers just getting smashed in the back of the head and it's not like it's just that blunt force trauma and you know the damage that it can do and it's really important to the point where i will just repeat it in every class it doesn't mean if you, you know it doesn't matter if you've been to everyone for the past few years or you know if this is your first time you're going to hear that but then i had one person who then couldn't get out of the whole uh the whole social club side of things yeah. uh, when we came back to uh from lockdown and they just couldn't they couldn't get behind the whole when i'm when i'm teaching a technique when i'm doing this just be quiet don't dig around because this bit is really important that nobody gets hurt uh and so we kind of we we kind of um uh i was going to say come to blows but we didn't we just we just we just came to a head on it and we can you know we couldn't work it out so i I know what you mean, but it's all like I think it's also important that people come in who know like and they know that it's it is a martial arts school and what we're doing mm. is ultimately very dangerous if it's not taken seriously to a certain extent. Like I'm not talking about being all like pogue faced or whatever and, and um, that sort of shit, but you know, like even with a like a, a rolling sword, you can you know you can do quite a bit of damage with it. Oh yeah. Um, so yeah. Yeah. Th- anyway, you're going to say something. Sorry. Yeah. No. No. Please. There's a lot. There's a lot there to unpack, and I think it's really interesting. Let someone just take the idea to the full extent, even with all the tangents in play. It's something I do a lot with anyone that's talking to me. Is just go. I like to try and find out where the head is, and just go. Can I pick up on something there and twist that thought into do this technique because it's teacher instincts in me. I mean, let's touch on the social dynamic side of things because it does make for a hell of an interesting thing. Because even if you know even if you're an assistant instructor, there is a point where you've got to turn from someone within the group to someone standing in front of it and dishing out instructions. Now, I think there's a load of, there's a load of tricks that teachers just in normal school time will use consistently framing techniques in their own head to just go, there are quips, there are phrases you knock out and people realize he's in instructor mode. Let's go. You know, I mean, for, for the most part, I don't, I don't tend to break out of that within my groups. It's very rarely, like even in private classes, I'm sort of still in that engagement. I have to sort of like clarify with people, not teaching right now, I'm social, Richard. There's a difference. Um, it can for, it can be difficult for people because uh, you got to remember as well, for most people, this is their hobby. This is a the thing they enjoy doing. So they associate everyone in that bubble as people they want to associate with. And being the people who are, for, for once a better term, dishing out the goods, we're the ones that are getting the attention. So it is that it, there is a fine balance to it. And it it takes a lot to get people to realize when you're trying to teach things seriously and when you're um, just trying to, you know, have a bit of fun socially. I mean, you can go into a class when you've, there's another instructor, like as assistant instructor taking the lead and you just want to get involved and muck about for a bit, you know, get your sparring matches in or whatever. But for some people, they still don't recognize that that's the switch from you wanting a fight to you being an instructor. And I've had it before where I'm in a combat. I've had a bit of a scrap with a mate. 
I've had someone come over and go, can you just give me some advice on my fight I just had? I went, dude, you're on the other side of the bloody hall. I'm here fighting this this fella. I am. Not, if I wish my peripheral was that good. There's two fights in between you. You know, get me a video and we'll happily look at it. But my awareness ain't that good. And it's, it was interesting for me that, particularly as I've sort of moved into this as my job, but that distinction has become more and more apparent. So I think it is really important for almost for everyone to understand when you're an instructor and when you're, you know, part of the group you're leading. So I think that it's, and how you balance that, there's so many different ways of doing it. So many different dynamics that take into effect, but when someone doesn't understand it, that's when things get colorful to say the least. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I mean, I put my hand up. There are times I've handled that situation terribly, you know, try to play it nice and then actually just not have had a headspace for it, which has led to all sorts of awkward stuff. But we, I mean, that's part of the growing phase of being an instructor is if you're going to do it, you'll make mistakes consistently <coughs> and learn and move past it. Yeah. Yeah. And like, um, there are a few people that I've had on here and they've talked about things that I haven't had to deal with yet. And um, I imagine it's something that, you know, uh, will come up down the line. And I've spoken, you know, I've spoken to Nick and Mike uh, for the AHF. Mm. And they've got you know, 15 plus years of experience of, of um, you know, doing HEMA. But, you know, they were doing HEMA before it was HEMA. They were doing reenactments. Um, like there's, there's pictures of like Nick uh, and he's like, I don't know, like seven years old or whatever, just carrying gunpowder for, for his brother. Um, but, you know, and I've spoken to them about some of the stuff and like, oh, I don't know. Oh, I don't know if I should talk about this. Ah, oh, fuck it. it I don't think you can. But um, there was a, there was an incident recently in, in one of the classes where somebody came in to, uh, uh, to one of their classes and just started going off, like going off on one about like, uh, they came in and they had a look around at the people who were training at the AHF mm. and just started talking to Mike about like, it was his first session. He's like, Oh yeah, I can see everybody's weakness, you know? And like, uh, and I can see these openings and where they're doing this wrong and all this sort of stuff. So obviously, you know, um, he's been studying the blade and this is like, this is something that I've, I've kind of encountered a little bit, but not too much. Um, people who've who've come from like reenactment backgrounds, and the the funny the funny one for me is that like um, where I've had people that have come from these backgrounds, and I'm like trying to help them with something, so I'll let them land a hit, but, you know, mm. and I'm like, yeah, well done, that's how you do that, you know, you're not double chambering or you you know you're, you're striking in true time, and that's that's kind of what you want to be doing. They almost look disappointed that like they're like, oh, I hit you, like I landed a hit, and uh, and I'm like. Yeah, because that's like you, you know, it's not, I'm not competing with you. Do you know what I mean? That would be weird if I was competing with you. <laughs> like, I'm trying to help you to develop. You know what I mean? Um, like, yeah, so I don't know. Like, I think it was, uh, I think I've got the opposite experience because um, I went to a LARP thing just to try and, you know, have something as a bit of a switch off. Just, get, I'm going to go over there and just see how this plays out because I've got a couple of people who are into it. Let's just go and, you know, have a look, see, see what it's like. I was having a bit of fun. Two short swords. Let, let, let's have a bit of a dance here. Let's see how fast I can move these buggers. They are crazy light. It is unfair as all hell. So I'm landing hits and I'm just realizing 
Wait, nothing's happening. Oh, right. Yeah, you got multiple hit points in that region. Bugger crap. Um, gonna just back off really fast. It's just like, yeah, okay. So I've got to factor that into my thinking now rather than just, I've hit you, you can drop tomorrow. You know, it's, yeah. it's really interesting. I think people from different, and I call it sword nerd fields because it is all the same thing. We're, we all like swords. We all like fighting. We just have our different flavors of it. I mean, I wouldn't, you know, there's, there's groups that like their reenactment thing and that's what they're really into. You know, your LARPers like doing the whole fantasy thing. You've got people deep into HEMA and other, other martial arts, so your Japanese, Chinese, whatever sphere it comes from. You may have your particular interest, but they've all got their own different clique and way of going about it. I think the hardest thing is to deconstruct that clique and then come to a common understanding of what are we trying to achieve in this fight? And I think that happens even within something like him where someone's wanting a friendly sparring match and someone's wanting to basically try and remove the helmet the old fashioned way, you know, it creates a massive discord just in that alone. I mean, the, the incident you raised there about somebody coming in thinking they know what they're talking about. Yeah, you get it. You do get it when you've got people who, you know, done a bit of research got some idea of how to move it or they've done a martial art before done something similar. They've had years of fencing background. And it is a case of you coming to a new environment and they haven't, you know, they don't really understand what's going on because they're going off what they know already. They know about what the, what themselves or what, what they can do. Um, and it's always interesting. I mean, for me, I sort of get around that problem in some sense, being six foot 10 to go, okay, big guys talking. We'll just shut up now. You know, physical charisma is a thing I have. The actual charisma I'm still working on, but the physical charisma is completely there. Now it, does help mitigate some of that. And when you see people going at it and having a scrap and go, okay, they're not holding back. Um, yeah, I'm interested. Talk to me. You know, you get around that problem just by doing the thing. And yeah, when you say, you know, you, you're letting people land a hit just to demonstrate that does work, the technique you're trying to do. I think, again, it all comes down to this framing of what context are you putting these lessons in? How are we talking to people when we're training them? A huge topic in itself. But particularly we got someone new who doesn't necessarily understand, say, in your case, the HEMA side of things. How do you then map that into what they understand as reenacting, LARP, whatever? How do you map that discussion? Getting to understand, you're coming here for this and this is how we do things, here's why. And then crack on. It's a, it's, it becomes really interesting. Actually, I found I've learned a lot more from people who I wasn't expecting to learn from just in terms of the way they think, how they approach combat. Because you get reenactors who maybe don't have some of the higher-end techniques that you know I've seen in HEMA tournaments, for example. They won't understand like the five master cuts of Maya. But their basics in terms of attack and block, to thrust, parry, spot on. They know what they're doing. It's just they don't have the framing to actually place that in a deeper context. But they're great at multiple man fights because they're doing it a lot. Whereas mm -hmm. HEMA doesn't have as much of that in it's something i would love to see more of it's something i might make one of my next workshops at fight camp about i've been thinking about it uh i like well yeah but i mean that's a that's a that's a thing i need to actually think about because i have i have a tendency of, of saying shit on this podcast and then i'm like ah oh, no i've said it and somebody will contact me and go so when are you doing this thing and i'm like yes yeah. i've got to do it now haven't i um like the southpaw thing i mentioned it in passing and then somebody somebody commented and said uh, like oh yeah I really like to see that like can you can you do that and I was like yeah okay um, 
really playing to your audience there, buddy. It's impressive to see. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, and I mean, that's fine. Like, you know, I've got nothing else going on. Like, so, yeah, I'll, I'll just go and fucking humiliate Yeah, myself. you know, you know, normal work, life. normal life, you know. Okay, cool, we'll do yeah, some... Yeah, yeah, exactly. Now let's... <laughs> but, um, I mean, that's the thing. Like, the, the, you know, the social aspect and people's, you know, managing people's expectations and all this sort of stuff. Because I know that my, you know, um, like, my my uh, Brazilian jiu-jitsu coach and my Krav Maga coach and uh, and also the guy who taught me um, when you know I first got into HEMA so um, Marco was my instructor and he was like um, that that dude was like lightning you know what I mean mm. he's, uh, he's about a head shorter than me uh, in fact, all of my coaches are a lot shorter than me, um, and they absolutely demolish me. I mean, to be fair, mate, you are a tall bloke. I mean, I, I, I know I well, could yeah, yeah, average like, I mean, through, but yeah, yeah, but like I'm, I'm talking like significantly shorter than me, and uh, and they've given me an absolute starching, which is like uh, which is quite quite interesting. But um, oh, God. Yeah, you know, it, it's like um, uh, yeah. So anyway, like my 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 Brazilian jiu-jitsu coach, like whenever we're grappling, um, he's obviously taking it really easy on me because mm. unlike, you know, there, there are no equalizers. There's no, there's no sword involved. Right. So like, you know, a newbie does some weird shit and it lands and you're like, Oh yeah, fuck. Um, that, that, you know, that, that shouldn't have worked, but it worked. Right. Yeah. Um, whereas if I do something, if I make some sort of mistake where I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to try and like, I'm going to try and throw him by doing this. Right. And uh, and even if I manage to get him slightly off balance, it's the fight's not done. Like I've got to, no. you know, I've got to like I've got to pin him. I've got to uh, I've got to submit him. Uh, and then, you know, the same with like my um instructor. I might land a lucky punch, which in a HEMA context, you know, you land that lucky strike and it's like, game yeah, over. yeah, that's it. Game over. Right. But if I land a lucky punch on my coach, it's like. Oh, cool! We're we're gonna kick it up a notch, and I'm like, no, let's not. Let's. <laughs> um, I didn't ask for this. Yeah, <laughs> but I, I think that's where something like continuous sparring practice is one of going to be the more interesting aspects if it ever really catches on. I mean, it's something I'd I'd like to do quite a bit. Is if a shot lands, okay, fight keeps going. You know, because I mean, I can get knocked in the flank, just hit into the side of the chest. All right, yeah, it's gonna smart. What if I've got a move or two? Can you can you disengage, recover, get a blade in the way, or evade, dodge out, keep smacking me? You know, what have you got beyond that first touch? And I get from a fencing world, it's very much a case of the touch is what counts. And a fencing and kendo share that aspect of who got the touch in first, mm. who had the advantage. Um, with other sword arts, you don't necessarily get that and i think it's really an interesting thing for people to explore as a case of okay you've got the hitting how are you getting out of this now you've made a great situation for yourself what are you going to do from here because that sword is not necessarily going to stick them idiot idiot monkey brain with adrenaline is going to come screaming trying to take you back down are you going to be able to disengage are you able to cover you know these are really interesting questions and i mean like you've said when you've got an unarmed context you may land a lucky strike, but that ain't the end of the fight. And I think there's a there's something to be drawn from that for people who basically study or play with swords and other weapons to go, cool, you've got a hit in, keep going. 
What's your next yeah. plan? There's, um, I mean, there's, there's obviously stuff that deals with this in um, things like Morata and Mancellino, mm. and also um, in the, the the stages of the fight in the Lechtenhauer tradition, where they talk about the abs of the withdrawal from the fight yeah. because yeah, you've you, you know you've struck them and now you need to withdraw under guard, and um, you know the exiting cut in the the Bolognese systems. Um, and I, you know, and then the accident cut, you you withdraw, and then if the fight continues, it continues. And something I I sort of like try and teach my students um, when we're doing techniques is, all right, if you've gone to grapple, then there's not much point trying to do an exiting cut because you're too close. That yeah. that sort of thing. Um, and I think continuous sparring's like I'm in two minds about it because I've I've spoken to a few people who. Uh, who really like it and rate it and you know they they want to sort of uh, develop tournaments that include it which mm. i think would be great um marco uh, who i mentioned earlier is one of them and um you know I, the other side of that argument um is like you know the other side of the well you know that doesn't quite work is um you know i've spoken to the guys from the ahf and they said that they've had a go of it and because the judges didn't really like the the judges mm. haven't trained up on it right yeah uh and so they're they're smashing the shit out of each other and it's basically like a boxing match where it's like head strike head strike head strike head strike back and forth and then at the end people are like i don't know i don't know who won that um and so i'd like to play around with it but i keep forgetting yeah. <laughs> i, I think... keep forgetting because i've got uh, like you know i've got a class to do the thing and i'm like sure. okay we're gonna do sparring um go and you know go and fight each other um and i'll i'll give uh you know i'll give individual people a task or there'll be a certain thing that they've got to do um but uh it yeah it's something i i want to take the time to actually explore for myself at some point yeah but it is that thing of i don't think it's going to see any wide attraction for the foreseeable future I, 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 because, I, I, sorry no, go for it, because, I mean, I've got a couple of ideas why it won't myself and it's something I'm trying yeah. to work around. Well, no, I was going to say, just because um, uh, judge training, like, yeah. it, it's it's something that, um, you know, people get trained up on the day. Um, and I've, I've spoken to a few folks about this, like Alex Timmerman, um, yeah. who I've had on, he went out to a tournament in uh, America and somebody was there who was a judge. I think it was Alex I was chatting to. And... Um, they hadn't they hadn't done anything like no training whatsoever like they weren't in hema they weren't in fencing they weren't into anything they'd just been like um hey you know you're here can you can you help us with the judging and it's like yeah sure like um and it's like cool but who the fuck is this person yeah. like, oh, i'm blind in one eye and i'm having an ocular migraine but yeah cool i'll do it you know <laughs> uh, I, th I think the judging training is one of the biggest aspects which all tournaments if they're ever going to see a wider appeal or a wide attraction really has to encounter first is what to what standard are we playing and yeah. who is controlling and maintaining said standard i think once you actually solve that problem a lot of the other problems that come around with it are sort of dealt with in the in the works because i mean the other side with continuous fencing for me is you know how much weighting does the first strike get versus anything else following afterwards does it all count as the same because there's a lot of times and a lot of strategies and a lot of a lot, a lot of common arguments I've had against it is someone comes in for an attack, you just wait for it and they're going to open up somewhere, just hit that thing instead. You know, it's blow for blow. And it is, yeah. it's, it's, 
it's a really interesting problem, but I don't think it's a mitigating, therefore it's crap. I think it just needs a lot more work going into it. But that's that's the same for a lot of areas within both communities, or all the communities regarding sword combat is there's a lot of work to be done to figure out the gaps and how to take it that next step further. And I think that's something which, I mean, the judge training is only one part of it. You know, there is the common standards for how we even go about our sparring because it's something I like to do in my group a lot is you talk to your opponent and go, right, what speed are we doing this? You know, is it half speed? Is it controlled? Is it friendly? Is it tournament fighting? Is it we're trying to rip each other's faces off? What's the standard? Because that's where you get the biggest... I'm trying to think of the right word. I'd, I'd say the biggest miscommunication is not even when you're not talking. It's just you're going there with a different objective. So if one person goes in with the intent to have a fight and the other person's just looking for a friendly knockabout, the person who's going for the friendly knockabout has got the biggest risk of injury right there. Because in that first couple of passes, they're going to have to deal with someone coming in quite hard and heavy Mm. versus, you know, what they were expecting. And it's something I encountered a lot in my early days. But since then, it's been a case of just set your ground rules of what are we here for? Set it up. And then you're okay from there. I mean, there's been times where I've gone in and gone, right, I want to pick one of my guys. I'll say, Rob, you know, I want a proper fight with you. And maybe he's, you know, not feeling it. He's had a couple of fights already. He's a bit knackered. He don't feel he can do his best. And he goes, not really in for it. Fine. Cool. I'm a bit, you know, I, I want to fight, but also don't want to put someone else at risk for my own selfish desire to get a fight in. So I think if you get the framing right for what you've been trying to do, even on that level, it can transfer into continuous sparring of, you know, how are we scoring this? What counts as targets, head, torso only, sod the arms off, what what are we doing? As long as you agree on what the objectives of your training are with whoever you're working with, whether it's a larger group, whether it's one-to-one, whether it's just with yourself of, you know, I'm doing some control swings outside. What are, what are my things I'm trying to work on here? As long as you know what your conditions for any sort of training are, you're in a good place and you're going to get something out of it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's one of the things that like I tend to do when I'm doing solo training actually is like, uh, cause I've got notebooks uh, and like just pages and pages of like, if I've, if I've been hit in a particular area too many times, you know, um, for my liking. Um, it was really good during the 100 days of sparring because obviously, you know, I'm like, okay, so that's obviously a weakness because somebody's um, somebody's getting right through there. I need to, you know, I need to work on that. So I can, I can, I can write a sort of like solo program for myself when I go out, uh, when I go out back and do uh, cutting drills and stuff because otherwise I'm just going to do the same thing. Um, you know, it's just going to be like, okay, I'm going to be, you know, making these sort of like cuts, whatever. I get bored of it. So it's nice to have something to, to work on. I thought that I would enjoy the Southpaw challenge a little bit more than I did, to be honest. Um, mm-hmm. I actually found it really frustrating. Um, and what sense, because that interests me. Because, I mean, yeah. I, I, I'm just like, interested like, to see what sort of thing got you in terms of that frustration, because I think it'd be an interesting challenge from a technical standpoint. Yeah, absolutely. And there was, there was definitely, um, you know, there was definitely a lot of things that I, I took away from it, 
you know, um, in terms of like stance and structure, mechanics, um, those things where I'm just like, right, you know, uh, I was fighting against certain people and I'm like, I'm definitely not using my hips enough when I'm, when mm. I'm making my cuts and all this sort of stuff from the, from the left side. Um, and that's, you know, that's stuff that I've been able to take away from it, but it was just the fact that I was on, uh, you know, I'd be fighting people and I'd have to, you know, uh, I'd see an opening, I'd go for it, I'd miss. Um, I do a thrust, my right hand is trying to be somewhere, my left hand is trying to be somewhere else. My feet are going in different fucking directions, do you know what I mean? Um, I'm, I'm looking at the person uh, that I'm fighting, they don't want to look me in the eye anymore. They're they're embarrassed. They're embarrassed for me. I'm embarrassed for me. We're all embarrassed. Everybody in the room is embarrassed by whatever the fuck I'm doing there. And like, I'd go home and I'm just like, shit, this is fucking with my mental health. You know what I mean? Like I'm like I'm getting a starching from absolutely everybody. Um, I mean, it, uh, it's, an, it's, a, it's a really interesting challenge because I mean, you can imagine. I mean, if we take a pop reference for for a moment, I mean. Jamie Lannister Game of Thrones style, you've lost your main fighting hand. All your instincts have got to be reworked from the ground up. And yeah. I can only imagine the levels of personal frustration. I mean, I'm frustrated enough with some of my technique, and that's on my dominant hand when I'm comfortable in my hand, but you never mind going, the bloody left hand is wrong. You know, yeah. I, I, I can't imagine the scale of annoyance that would bring. It was, right, so when I broke my right hand, I did something like, Pretty silly, actually, because obviously it's like don't do any contact sports or anything. I'm like, well, I'll do some reenactment. That's fine. Ah, oh, the standard well, martial artist mentality: you've broke something. Hey, it'll be fine. It'll heal. Yeah, I'll use my left. So I went on to um, I went on to do uh, this thing at Church Castle, which was like with an old with my old group, and I went on with a kite shield strapped to uh, my right arm. And uh, and I just went in with a spear, and I thought, well, fuck it, I'll do it Roman style. I'm just going yeah. to be really stabby. Um, and uh, like we basically won, you know, we've we'd yeah. gone through um, and we'd, we'd hit everybody. So they've gone down. And then um, this like this one guy manages to break through uh, and he's just running at me. And I thought, oh, fuck, he's getting like um, he, he looks like he knows what he's about. Um, you know, he's there. He's in chain. Um, he, he's just taken out a bunch of people and he's like and he's gunning it for me. Like he's just got his eyes on me and all of my guys are everywhere. I'm like, guys. Guys, you know, I'm like, oh, fuck it. Back up, hell. Yeah, I, thought, I don't want to go down because, like, you know, like, I, I don't uh, I didn't really want to uh, sort of, like, fart around with a kite shield on this, like, mangled hand. <laughs> <clears throat> so he comes in, and um, anyway, I covered I covered the strike uh, with, with my spear, um, and reactively, I just kind of went a little bit fury, which I shouldn't have done, because I wrapped up his arm, and I got the underhook, and I threw him on his head. Um, and he sort of landed quite heavily and I picked up my spear and I poked him with it and I went, oh shit, sorry. I went, I shouldn't have done that. And, uh, and he was really pissed off because, you know, yeah. they, they're not, they don't like that, t that sort of stuff in, uh, in reenactment. Um, you know, sometimes it's okay depending on your, on your opponent, but a lot of them, yeah. a lot of them are, are there and it's like, it's like, you know, I am Ragnar and don't fuck with me and all this sort of stuff. But if you hit them a little bit hard, it's like, ooh, don't, you know, ooh. and you're like, yeah, all right, yeah, cool. And you know, I've been on the like, I, I've I've been on the other side of it myself, where somebody's just come in and like smashed me in the neck, and I'm like, motherfucker, what do you do that for? You know what I mean? <laughs> um, so like, I get it, um, but 
so you know i've fought with my left hand in the past but like forcing myself to to just try and get fast enough i try and make sure that my edge alignment is there my measure is decent yeah um, like you know that my my um uh, my sense of timing it was there and uh, like all of this sort of stuff it was yeah that was the thing and uh, i was fighting against uh, chris evans who's one of my students and um he's he's sort of advancing very quickly he's very good he's a mm. very strong guy and i was putting on my guard with my left hand and he was just smashing through it and like hit me in the head and it wasn't like just brute force it was all very like it was all done mechanically well yeah. um, his structure was in that's why he was he was able to do it and he was just like cracking me on the head i'm like fuck yeah well done buddy you're, you're doing it i'm proud of you but i'm really fucking frustrated oh know? god the amount of times you have to do that as an instructor just going you, you, internally you know you could have caught that on if you're having a better day you could have done something and then you have to go nope nope mate that was awesome high five internally just seething yeah internally <laughs> just like why why did i get that so wrong i can't let them see that i yeah. can't let them see how frustrated i am with myself and then you get some people who just know you so well and go you're a bit pissed off aren't you went fuck off just stop reading <laughs> like an open book you can't even read my face the mask is on stop stop yeah. reading my mind like some spooky pop-up book you know just yeah it, it's, I, I always love it when you get stuff like that. I mean, the, the whole left-handed, like turning into a left-handed fight and actually looking at it, it really, for me, it brings into the question of how much of what we consider our basic instincts with fighting, our, our, our knowledge and tactical part, is actually still so heavily grounded in our physical practice of the thing itself. I mean, we can talk time and again, um, you know, about the theory of martial arts, but the, actually the practice of it is so firmly rooted at the base of what we have to do the way we understand strategy and tactics the actual practice of it forms part of discussion by by proxy it's how we even get into it so i think you know switching to a left hand i mean to be honest pal you're braver than i am i won't bloody do it you know i i have enough shame kicked out of me on a daily basis with my clubs you know i don't need any more kicking the crap out of me thank you very much um but then it's you know, it's a case of really forces you to just consider, even from an outside perspective, going, you know, you mentioned timing and rhythm. Like, how much of that is even tied up with me just knowing how my body moves? Having to even change that premise alone and then re-engineer an entire fighting style against people who are doing their basics well. It's like, from a technical aspect, from a tactical aspect, I think it's absolutely fascinating. That For me, it's crazy interesting just even of seeing what you're doing with it and going you know how much would that change on me how how much would i have to adapt to turn into a left-handed fighter and i'm going uh too much i would have to re-engineer from the ground up and i'm i mean i'm having to do that anyway but you know that's that, that's a huge ask yeah uh i mean it it was and is tough because I'm going to continue it. I just need to think of a, a good conclusion now that I'm not going to Wessex League. So I've got to like yeah. basically put a pin in it and go, okay, well, you know, I'll do, I'll do this, that, and the other. I mean, Shark um, Tank at the AHF sparring day? Uh, I would love to, but I think there's going to be like quite a few people, uh, quite a few people there. And I don't want it to, like, it's, it's the AHF sparring day. I don't want to make it about like, hey, I'm doing this thing let's let's make this about me um you know what oh. i mean then like i thought about maybe fighting uh, a bunch of left-handers while i was there yeah. with the left hand to see how that would go 
Uh, and I still may do that, but it's, yeah, in terms of like um, reverse engineering what you know, it is that thing of like, you know, when you, when you um, do something for so long and it becomes reaction yeah. rather than action. And there's, there's not really a thought behind it. You're, you're just sort of acting on instinct and it's this, this instinct that has been cultivated. It's been mm. developed over time. Um, when you then start fencing left-handed, there are moments where you have to pause and think, which, you know, like thinking takes a lot longer than just reacting. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, uh, um, you know, if I step on a pin and I have to think, well, that really hurts. I'm going to remove my foot. Then, you know, my foot is, my foot's going to be on that pin for quite a while. I feel like, Oh, my hand is roasting in this fire. I best remove it kind of thing. Now I'm, I'm going to have some pretty bad burns. Yeah. So, yeah. So it was, it was two things that were really slowing. Well, three things that were really slowing me down. One was that I haven't developed that speed in my left hand. Mm. Two was that I was having to think more. And then three was that I was having to fight my initial instinct to do something on this side, mm. you know, on my right side. So yeah, it was um, it, it, like, it, like I said, it is, was, and is a tough thing. And now that I've like wrecked my right shoulder, um, I might end up fighting left-handed tonight uh, when I yeah. go to when I go to class. Um, so it all depends. I'm like I'll just I'll just take a load of ibuprofen, you know, and then that, <laughs> that gets stuck in and suffer the consequences. So just between tomorrow. matches, just rubbing deep heating, going, "Oh come on, please work, please yeah. work." Yeah, exactly. A lot of times I've gone into a training session, just coming straight from the gym, and my body's going. You've just done an insane amount of workout. What are you doing going to trade? It's like, I'm fine. Most of it is me just shouting at people. There's only the last like 45 minutes I have to worry about when people come and go, you want to scrap? I'm like, yes, I do. But my body is going to pay. He's going to ask for payment in the morning. And most of it is just, by the way, here's your pain interest. Shut up. You know? Yeah. Now get up and do it again. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. Like with uh, the five branches that you have, um, Mm time for personal training and socializing because uh, obviously there's the sort of like work work life aspect of it yeah that's um i, I mean what's the polite that is an ongoing process of development it's i mean it's very much a case of i turned my hobby into my job i am now in the process of trying to find other hobbies that don't conflict with my job um i suppose the key thing is going to be um just being comfortable with what I'm doing. I mean, the, I mean, everyone I know who is a teaching HEMA or any weapon-based martial arts struggles with this imposter syndrome of, am I do, am I teaching the right thing? Am I good enough to do this job? And I mean, yeah, everyone who is brave enough to stand up there and do something in, in part, even the most basic lesson is doing a bloody good job. Mm. You know, you are just by process. I mean, God, the amount of times you see people who are nervous as hell, but teach someone just how to turn their edge alignment even slightly to make it work. You're an instructor in that moment. It may not be, you know, a huge thing for you, but it's a huge thing for the person receiving that information. You've helped them develop. Now, the whole thing for me with this whole work-life balance, teaching five groups, personal training, you just have to sink time into it. It's like anything else. You know, if you want it to work, it requires a bit of time investment. And that is my biggest investment in this. You know, I'm work, I'm at a gym 
four, five times a week, probably before training, sometimes with people from the group as well. So the different groups I'm training, I'm there with them, helping them through their bits as well, helping them figure out what I'm doing in the gym, how to improve, how to get stronger. You know, my own personal training is usually half an hour before I'm going to sleep. I'm usually with that bloody Montante behind me, just swinging it around like a lunatic, you know, just usually just stretching everything out, but checking as my edge alignment good, is my balance right? You know, really my work only is those couple of hours in the evening plus any private sessions I get during the day. So I just fit my life in around it. Like mm. It's been weird because I've been so used to awkward ass jobs in terms of timings anyway. I mean, I can imagine like most of my jobs in my twenties were security based, you know, I mean, six foot 10 could string a sentence together and duck for a door frame, you know, great. You're hired. Oh wait, you actually got a brain team leader material here, over here, ladies and gents, you know, not, e not difficult to get a job in that field when you're like this, but the other side of the coin for me, um, really comes into just when do you find your own time to switch off and you're not necessarily thinking about how to make your job better? You know, there are times when you have to put that to one side physically because otherwise you go friggin' mental. I mean, he says that probably wrong vernacular, go crazier in my case. But the whole thing is I'm still in that process of trying to find another thing that I can do in my spare time that isn't intrinsically linked to my job. Now, is that going to be tough? Absolutely. Main reason being, I really give a shit about my job. You know, I want the folks I'm training to get better. I want them to have the best experience from me they possibly can. Mm. You know, they, they are giving up sometimes multiple evenings a week, plus any time during the, during the week they have, if they're interested in private sessions, just to come and learn from me. You know, that, that's a mark of trust in itself that has to be respected for what it is. Um, yeah. So you, you do the best job you can. Now, you're going to have bad days. You're going to have shit days. But how much do you let them tip the wind from your sales or how much do you learn from each time you make a mistake? That could just sound to experience. I mean, I got in the early days, I was, I let every mistake hit me like a ton of bricks. You know, I'd be there pouring over books and research material, looking at teacher training, just going, how, how am I getting this wrong? Hmm. And I'd obsess over it. I'm not saying I don't do that now. There are times when I go, okay, I made a mistake. How could I have got that better? But it isn't an obsession of, I must never make this mistake again, because the reality is you do a thing, you're going to fuck it up at some point. I mean, how many times as swordsmen have we, you know, got in a fight and gone, yeah, we got hit because we made a stupid bloody error. I mean, every multiple times a week in this, in, in my case, you know, and you're just going, it's an ongoing process of improvement and the whole allowing yourself that time to reflect, but not kick yourself. Mm. But every error you make, because you see, I mean, you must see it in students when you when you teach them a technique and they just can't get it and they get so incredibly frustrated and you've got to be there going, dude, or do that. It is fine. You know, it is absolutely fine to make a mistake. You've just got to learn from it. And that happens all the way up the spectrum, right up to the point where, you know, it's your profession, it's your job. You've got to allow yourself to make those mistakes and just learn from them. So long as nothing terrible has happened and no one's dead, injured, battered, bruised, too fucked off, whatever, 
even if that is the case, still learn from it. You know, make those small scales improvements. And that goes for every aspect where I've got to learn that, you know, I am allowed to sometimes veg out on my bed with my switch and I'm just playing Breath of the Wild for four hours because my brain cannot process what I've just done. Nope. Nah, nah, I'm staying here. I'll beat this bloody moblin if it kills me or it. The whole thing here is, you know, you've got to have that time to decompress because if you're on the edge of it all the time, <laughs> one thing, burnout. And if you burn out, you know, there's only one person, there's only a group of people that are going to suffer, and that's the people you're wanting to train. Because mm. you're there. I mean, if you take two weeks out because your head isn't in the right place, which is completely fine, but then you try and press that even further when you know you're not in the best place, how good are your lessons going to be? They're going to be pretty crap. But you're just yeah. trying to press it. <clears throat> yeah, there's going to be a case of diminishing returns. Absolutely. When, um, um when you sort of hit that line and um i mean i'm quite fortunate um in that i have people who um i have people who support me in that Hmm. you know in that regard and they're they're um they take a lot of the a lot of the heat oh you know i'll be honest they do a lot of the work um i just turn up for the fun bit (laughs) so like you know melissa my wife she does the numbers and then um Ben, my second wife, he does the the website related stuff, and yeah, like I said, I just turn up for the fighty bit, and that's great, and I get all the credit. Um, mm. <laughs> I mean, I try to do as much of the background admin as possible, but even then, you still rely on a team to support you. you oh yeah. Do. I mean, there's still people that you will turn around, and they'll realize you're in a bad place. You go, do you need a vent? I'm like, yep, I bloody well do. Prepare your brain for the next five minutes. Ah, but you know you're always going to need that. And I think it's inhuman to expect that no one will, you know? Yeah. And I think we're a lot more um, accepting of that sort of stuff now. Yeah. Perhaps we were, you know, a few, few years ago. Like I remember, you know, especially with the ideas that we had of martial arts classes, I used to go to my Kung Fu class and it would i i had expectations from my yeah. from my teacher being this kind of you know holy man basically kind of this wizard. yes yeah yeah they're like you know they've reached enlightenment through martial arts and all this sort of stuff and so it does dehumanize them and that's how you end up with this like cult like um following yeah uh, and uh you know that's all that that's that's dangerous that's weird so I mean, it doesn't make it any easier when you're a six foot ten guy rocking around you know pretending to be awesome it's just like don't 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 take this to heart you know you can all try and kill me if you want it's not a problem i mean just on the mental yeah. health side alone i mean i want to give a shout out to a chap who i still keep in contact with quite a lot a chap called lewis kirkbride who did the 1066 battle walk in full army, you know, we're talking every single day, walking like 20 something miles in full stonework. You're just going, Christ, you are a lunatic. I mean, I had him down here for two days, just hosting him. And we came up with a phrase together that was just like, you know, I mean, if the biggest guy in the room wearing a fuckload of armor can admit, got a problem, it gives carte blanche to everyone else in the room to say the same thing. And that's, that's been one of the more powerful aspects that I've taken away from a conversation with Lewis is just going, except when you've got a problem, you know, except when you're feeling a bit shit, except when what you're doing isn't working and just change tack and move, do something different, you know, trying to repeat the same thing, expecting different results is the definition of insanity in itself. Yeah. So if, if 
what I'm trying to teach isn't working or, you know, the way I'm going about my downtime for one of the example, isn't working for me. Just trying to do it again and again and again, as if it's going to change something. Nah, it ain't. I mean, for me, sometimes my downtime is something as simple as I'm not necessarily writing up a lesson plan. I'm just reading, you know, I don't know, Art of War, for example. It's still technically part of my job. I want to learn this stuff so I'm better at it. But it's downtime for me, stuff I used to enjoy. Now everything is being turned into a job. Sometimes I need to divert from one task to another. So it's rather than sat at my computer, you know, writing up stuff, it's right, sod it go get your hours gym routine in or go for a 20 minute run or whatever it is you do. It may be tangentially related to your job, but you're giving your brain enough of a fucking relax between sessions. You know, we, we do it enough with our students, you know, each, you know, one thing I want to see from instructors more is that openness of, we need to do it for ourselves and allow yeah. us to have that break and just go, no matter this mythical idea of being, you know, the person with the magic sticks and knowing how the magic sticks need to move, we're still bloody human, mm. you know, and that's something which it, it can be a trap in itself of people who get, you know, manage to make it something more than what they initially thought it was going to be for them. And then have this responsibility on the shoulders of so many people are watching what you're doing and how you're doing it. You know, there is, there is a pressure there to that, but it's how you manage that. And sometimes going, you know what? I need a break. I had a chat with a few people about this actually, because I was feeling really bad because I'm shit in the mornings. I'm really bad. Um, oh, like, I'm instant yeah. human. You just have to add coffee. I'm instant human at that point. <laughs> no, that's the thing. Like I'll have it, you know, I'll have my coffee. If I have a coffee straight out of bed, I had coffee today. I think, uh, you know, I had it in a, in a work meeting I don't know what was wrong with it, but I was walking home and I was like, oh, something, something about that coffee wasn't right. Uh, it was just a Costa coffee. And I'm like, uh, it's like, I don't know what it was, but it was causing me some, some sort of upset. Um, but yeah, I'm shit in the mornings. I sort of like, uh, you know, I come downstairs, I watch some, something on TV. And I was saying to, um, I was saying to a few people, like in the morning, I'll wake up, I'll go downstairs, I'll lie on the sofa and I'll be there, you know, in 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 my pajajes, uh, and I, um, you know, I'll watch like an episode of of The Simpsons or something. I, I'll watch another one. Why not? <laughs> and um, you know, I need to need to let my breakfast digest and all this sort of stuff. Five and again, hours later, yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, yeah, that's it. And then you know, the postman will knock on the door, and I'll open the door, and he's there judging me because I'm in my pajamas, and I'm like, don't judge me. You know, or milk is running down my beard for my breakfast, whatever. And I'm, I'm kind of there, like, uh, you know. And I said to um, a few folks, like, I need to, I need to get that shit under wraps. I need to wake up in the morning and be, and be at it. And they're like, but you work weekends and evenings, like, yeah, evenings. Um, so yeah, like may, maybe just do take that time to decompress. Um, and I think I think there is a certain amount of truth in that. I think that um, I think that there are people uh, like David Goggins who've reached their you know their peak potential mm. as as human beings, and they're running you know twenty twenty five miles a day, and then and then doing like three thousand pull ups, whatever, and and all this sort of stuff. Um, and yeah, cool, that's great. And at some you point, do you. you, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> 
uh, at some point, maybe I can get there. Maybe I can break through some sort of barrier. But at the, I mean, but there's something as well that's almost dehumanizing about that. Um, yeah, I think it's it's a big trap that I particularly particularly when I do look at you know people who have who are quote unquote successful. You know, hmm. public perception of they have got their ducks in a row and they have got their shit sorted and there's a lot of your mind going well i need to be like that i need to inhabit this and you know it, it is a huge amount of pressure on your shoulders i mean i'm stepping into this world you know having really just made it my job you know still finding my feet with it and you see people who are running around getting a load of you know attention and doing all these awesome things you're just going fuck here i am in the east midlands you know trying to you know stitch it all together like what the fuck am i doing but reality yeah. is everyone starts somewhere and i mean i my starting position and what i've managed to achieve off the back of a a lot of crap is a bloody good start now does it mean journey's over oh hell no like i mean since fight camp i've lost 10 kilos you know, I really have just gone, what about Rich Hughes, this amorphous character of crazy needs bloody fixing to do the job better? Yeah. And when you don't, and when I'm looking at just on myself, I'm just going, well, there's obvious bits, you know, there's bits where I need to be a bit more self-disciplined about my diet. And when I go to the, when I go to train and when I, you know, allow myself to switch off, I mean, something is something as simple and as daft to say is self-discipline about your switch off time. You know, I mean, there's times when an email's popped through and I'm just going, great, it's another person wanted to get in, but uh, I could answer it now, but then I'm going to have about five other jobs jumping at me going, I kind of want in. So I'll just grab a notebook, make a note to go answer that first thing when you clock on tomorrow, but, you know, don't distract yourself with it now because you're going to break out your own, you know, chill out time. And it's something as basic as that, but the perception of other people doing awesome shit yeah, it can it can either be a motivator or a massive demotivator if your head's not in the right place. I mean, there have been times when I've seen people who have been doing fantastic stuff who are just going, oh, God, I wish, I just wish I had that level of awesome back in me. I wish I had that ability to go do all these runs in the morning, feel great about it. You know, but, you know, I mean, how many times, we all know it, there are times when we don't talk about how shit we truly feel. And we don't let that crap out. We don't talk. We don't post on social media every time we're feeling shit. But there are times when everyone's going to have those moments. And it's allowing them and being being able to go, what do I need to do to improve each and every day? And sometimes your improvement is don't regress. Don't go backwards. Holding the line is more than good enough in itself. I mean, even if I don't make that improvement of my, my cut, my cut arc is extended a little bit because my foot works better. It's like, okay, cool. That's one thing I could improve on, but that could take three months worth of training and plyometrics and, you know, balance and all the rest of it to actually get sorted small steps to it each day. And there's a lot of, there's, there is a push for massive social pressure across the board, not just in our, in our world about having this ability to develop really quickly and overcome problems fast Whereas reality is it takes time, it takes time and consistent effort. And that isn't always touted as much as the success story itself. And particularly when you see people who do well in tournaments who have, yeah, done amazing things, you know, particularly in the sword world where they've won this tournament, they've pulled up this fantastic technique. They've got all the sexy fencing points in the world, but you just realize how much time's actually gone into train, develop that, 
and the fortune they've had to be able to be in the right place, in the right headspace at the right time to have that moment crystallize and go, now you can be awesome, go get it. And how many times do you miss those chances? A few. In fact, I can count a few on my own hands when I've missed those chances. So it is, there is a double-edged sword in this sort of semi-celebrity status that people get. And it is a question of how you choose to balance that equation. Some people are really comfortable in that spot. I'm not one of them. Mm. I, I want to just get in, do my stuff, do my job, help out who I can, and then get out. You know, if I'm in a position where I can be of advantage and what I do help someone else, fantastic. That's me, a happy man. So that's, it's again, I say it again, framing. It's figuring out what you want and how you're going to go get it, not measuring it by other people's perceptions of what you're doing and how it's working. Yeah, yeah, I get that. And um, again, there's, I've had plenty of uh, experiences of reading books or listening to seminars about, mm. you know, um, yeah, you can just keep keep going. And and one of the things, like I like, I'm I'm going to be training later, and I keep saying to, uh, I keep saying to my students. Um, whenever I've got an injury or whatever, and I, like I'll, I'll keep training. Um, I'm like, yep, be grateful for your pain. It lets you know you're still alive and all that sort of thing. Oh. And uh, and there are times where uh, I'll see something and it's like, yeah, you can get through whatever whatever life throws at you. I remember um, like the day after I found out um, recently that my best friend passed away. I, I was like, I'm going to go at the back and train. And Melissa was like, you sure? And I said, yeah, 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 I'm, I'm going to do it. It'll take my mind off shit, right? And um, she said, okay, well, let's go out for lunch first. And I said, yeah, cool. Um, I just need to just need to send a few messages. And um, I had some messages from his family and all this sort of stuff. And um, and his brother, who's, uh, who's ace, really, mm. really good guy. And we were sort of like helping each other get through, um, uh, through it all. And... Um, uh, after these messages, Melissa said, okay, we're going to go to, um, uh, like Albany road, which is not that far away from here. It's like mm. a 10 minute walk and, um, we'll just have some lunch and walking there. I had to stop three times because I felt like I, I was out of breath. Like I felt like, um, I'd been, you know, basically just punched in the stomach Yep. and I couldn't get like, I couldn't get there, you know, like I got there in the end, but there were a bunch of times I had to stop. And just lean against the wall and this idea that you can you know it doesn't matter what life throws at you you can overcome it if you have the mental discipline and all this sort of stuff i love the idea i love that mm. idea and i i expect a certain amount of discipline for myself and my students and, and and from the people that i train with my teachers and all that sort of stuff but at the same time like i just couldn't i couldn't that day the next day i did mm. um and uh yeah and it maybe it helped i don't know but um it was yeah it's really tough this idea of yeah it doesn't matter you can keep going is it's yeah, not no and, and i think this is the again one of the biggest challenges you get with people particularly who are you know instructing in this world of ours this hema sword fighting world of this perception if you have to be the absolute best person possible i mean it's just physically not possible. I mean, God, if, if, if I came up against Alexander Makarov, in no doubt he would tear me to pieces. 
but I know I'm good enough to teach the guys I've got with me right now and I can help them develop. The best teacher is the one that actually imparts the lessons. And we, we can all, we can all this ideal of being completely stoic in the moment of going, shit can happen. You know, Marcus Aurelius quotes, what, what does it matter? You know, and just move on. Reality is we're squishy mortals with the squishy things called emotions and they get stoked. And sometimes you go, nope, I'm not dealing with that. And the best thing you can do is just go, no, I am taking five and just processing what the hell's going on. And to expect, I mean, anyone who expects a perfectly stoic response to all pressure at all times, I just label a Muppet these days. You know, I mean, there's an immaturity in it in itself of going, if I mean, I've, I've, I say that because I had that perception of my own abilities. Like, you know, I should be able to do this. You know, we all, I, I say this because I've been there. You know, I've been yeah. to this point where I should be able to do this. I should be able to do this. And the amount of times I've pushed myself to breaking point time and again before I've realized this ain't working. And the only time I really noticed was coming out the other end of COVID when, you know, life had taken a significantly down, downward spiral for me. And I came out the other side and I was not in the best shape, you know, physically, mentally, everythingly, not in the best shape and realized my old standards cannot apply right now because the body, the body and person in front of you ain't got that in them. They need rebuilding. And it's just taking that time to go, cool, I'm just going to do what I can. And that's more than enough. And you do that daily, you should be fine. But the perfectly steric response, particularly when you mention, you know, life-changing events like that to be able to turn around and just go i can keep going like bugger can you you know there is no way on this earth that it's reasonable to expect it some people can and they happen to be in a weird place in their own head where that is what they need cool but so long as that's what they need i know people who do throw themselves into work and throw themselves into all sorts just when they need a distraction from what life's throwing at them but i know for my own sake Sometimes I need to just sit down, not do anything, and stare the problem in the face until it blinks. That's that's the way I need to handle things. And mm. is it easy? Nah. But dealing with problems is never easy, and it's just encouraging that across the board, not just as instructors of sword-based violence. You know, being able to turn around and go, you know, if you need five minutes and you're not in a good space for sparring, go take five, get a drink, just observe, process chat with people, chill, and then if you're ready, re-engage. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Buddy, this has been absolutely awesome. It has indeed. Where can people find you online? So uh, www.orderoftheblade.co.uk. We've got a new website coming out relatively soon. I think with recent downtime on my end, I will get that sorted out ASAP. Uh, we're based in the Midlands. Uh, we've got five groups, Loughborough, Leicester, Coventry, Derby, and Melton Mowbray. Um, I'm available throughout the most places. I can do private sessions, come to you, get some training done online and all the rest of it. Um, we do also run frequent sparring events. We've got one coming up at the end of this month. We're going to look to run them every two or three months, get people down from all sorts of different areas and get a damn good fight on with an all-you-can-eat Chinese buffet, the most beautiful words after a hard training session. But yeah, we... We're here just offering what we can in terms of sword training and hoping everyone gets something out of it, really. 
If you're interested in historical European martial arts, visit www.academyofsteel.com or shoot us over a message at info at academyofsteel.com or you can find us on Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, Facebook and TikTok.